I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. I call your attention to the outline of my message on the back of your bulletin. As usual, there's some blanks there that I want you to fill in. And I want you to take this bulletin home with you because there will be some guidelines for sharing the faith there, witnessing that I call to your attention and want you to keep. And then there's a sign-up form there for Operation Andrew, which I'll tell you more about in just a little while. So this is a bulletin I want you to take home with you. Our scripture reading for the morning comes from the first chapter of John's Gospel, beginning with the 35th verse. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say that, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. <coughs> Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. Three weeks ago, early on a Saturday afternoon, I was on the driving range at the Fort Jackson Golf Club trying to bring a ray of hope to my golf game. This was the afternoon before football game between South Carolina and Vanderbilt. Near me on the driving range was a young man wearing a Vanderbilt shirt. He saw my Gamecock hat and he said, are you going to the game tonight? I said, uh, no, I've been spoiled by the comforts of my den watching the game on television. 
He said, I live in the Nashville area, and he said, I try to go to every game they play. Um, though he said, my team is having a really tough year. I said, uh, my Gamecocks are having a really tough year too. I said, but I'm also a Duke fan and basketball season is coming. He said, uh, by the way, Duke had a really good player last year who went pro. I said, you mean Zion Williamson? He said, yeah, that's it. He said, I wonder what kind of year he's having. I said, as a matter of fact, he's having a really good year. He had a great preseason, but then he got hurt. So he's been laid up for a while. And then this layman from Tennessee said, I wonder if he knows the Lord. I said, as a matter of fact, he does. He has a godly mother who introduced him to Christ when he was a little boy. Of course, by that time, he and I sensed that we were both Christians. We introduced ourselves to each other and then began to discuss the best ways to introduce young people, particularly athletes, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Later that day, as I was pondering this conversation, I felt a little bit of a twinge of guilt. It was not I, an ordained Methodist minister, who introduced the Lord into that conversation. It was a layman from Tennessee. He was bolder for the Lord than I was. Jesus' last command is our top priority. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. A Christian is never off duty when it comes to sharing the faith. Indeed, St. Paul uh, said to his young friend Timothy to preach the gospel in season and out of season. In other words, there's never an off season. And St. Peter said to all of us Christians, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You don't really have the love of Christ in your heart unless you're willing to share it. Let me say that again. You don't really have the love of Christ in your heart unless you're willing to share it. <clears throat> now, Satan has told a terrible lie to the American public. Satan has persuaded most Americans to believe that religion is strictly a private matter and should not be taken into the public arena. Satan knows that people bring people to Christ. And if he can persuade us not to share the good news of Jesus, some people may never meet Christ. The main reason that the United Methodist Church in America has consistently lost members every single year for 60 years is because most Methodists seldom share their faith with unchurched people. And the awful result of that is that thousands of souls are being lost for all eternity because of our timidity in sharing the faith. So my purpose today is to transfer some Christians from the inactive list to the active list of witnessing and sharing the faith. Let me define witnessing. It is sharing the good news about Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. Let me say that again. 
sharing the good news about Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. So my big question that I'm asking all of us today is, are we commending Jesus openly by word and deed when we have opportunities? When was the last time you introduced somebody to Jesus Christ? And what a mission field we have in America today. I saw just in the past week, I saw the results of latest uh, uh, polls that were taken, opinion polls in America. It reveals something very, very sad to me. It said, in the young adult section of America, that is ages 18 to 27, excuse me, 18 to 29, in that age group in America, 44% of those people say they have no religious commitment. 44% of that entire age group, young adults in America. What a mission field we've got. Now, we know that the two seasons when people, unchurched people, are most open to a word about Christ, Christmas, Easter. We got one month before Christmas. And so, I'm challenging us to be part of what I'm calling Operation Andrew, in honor of Andrew, the disciple of Jesus. And I'm challenging all of us to reach out to two or three unchurched people during the next month. Now, let me allay a couple of fears right away. I'm not going to ask you to preach. No. Nor am I going to try to lure you down to the street corners of Lexington to confront people and ask if they're safe. No. I want to invite you to witness in the New Testament style. <clears throat> the New Testament method is person to person, one by one, with a brief word of witness. Person to person, one to one, with a brief word of witness. Now, one of the first followers of Jesus was Andrew. Earlier, he had been a disciple of John the Baptist. But one day, John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, Look, there is the Lamb of God. Well, that was enough for Andrew. He started following Jesus, got to know him, became one of his disciples. Since Andrew was one of the first disciples, he had seniority. And so you would have assumed that he would have been part of the executive committee, the big three of the disciples. He was not. That was Peter, James, and John. Andrew was not included. And you might have assumed that maybe he would get peeved about that since he was, had seniority. There is not a hint that he was aggravated, peeved at all. There must have been something essentially humble about Andrew. And there was also something about him that was so friendly and accessible. We're told in Scripture that one day some Greeks came to Jerusalem and wanted to meet Jesus. So they needed to approach somebody for an introduction. Guess whom they approached? Oh yeah, it was Andrew. Must have been something winsome about him. The first thing Andrew did after he discovered Jesus was to find his brother Simon. And he said, Simon, we have found the Messiah. Simon and Andrew then directed Jesus to a fellow from their hometown named Philip. Philip, in turn, found his friend Nathaniel, who is called Bartholomew in, in many of the Gospels. And Philip said simply, Nathaniel, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. 
the son of Joseph. Now, from these examples of witnessing in John chapter 1, I learned the following four guidelines for our witnessing. First, our witness should be brief. In chapter 1 of John's gospel, the witness was often just one sentence. Remember the Samaritan woman whom Jesus met one day at the well, Jacob's well. She had had a rough life, been married five times, divorced five times. And at that point, she was just shacking up with a guy. And uh, she encountered Jesus. He transformed her life right there on the spot. He gave her what he called the living water of eternal life. And all of a sudden, she was going all over the countryside, all over Samaria, telling people about Jesus. All she said, it was rather brief. He told me everything I ever did. And yet that brief word of witness ignited a national revival. We can share our witness in lots of brief, everyday ways. For example, when I see a person wearing a, a cross on a necklace, bracelet, lapel, I often say to them, thank you for wearing the cross. I'm a Christian too. And if the person is a Christian, they will smile and say, yeah, I'm one too. I have never had somebody reply, no, I'm not a Christian. I just wear that little piece of jewelry because I think it's pretty. Never. If the person is a non-believer, they'll usually be silent. But I got a feeling that they'll start thinking about maybe what that cross actually stands for. And maybe that could be a preparation for them to encounter Christ. Our testimony should be brief and to the point. Only in church do people have time to listen to a sermon. Each of us should be able to give our testimony in three minutes or less. Our testimony ought to answer two questions. How and when did you get to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And secondly, what difference has he made in your life? That's it. You ought to be able to answer those two questions in three minutes or less. Have you ever written out your three-minute testimony? If not, that's your assignment for this afternoon, folks. I want you to sit down and write it out. No need to memorize it now, but you ought to be very familiar with it, and you may want to share it with a Christian friend just to practice. And then you develop that three-minute testimony and then pray that God will send somebody by you who needs to hear it. Now, I like to ask permission of a person before I give my testimony to them. I usually say to them, would it be okay if I would share briefly about the most important decision I ever made in my life? I've never had somebody yet say, oh, no, I'm, I'm way too busy for that. No. They always, always say, yeah, go ahead. The power of your testimony has nothing to do with your education. Or your eloquence, nothing. Oh, it's backed up by a power much greater than that. The power of God promised in Isaiah chapter 55, where he said, my word will not return to me void, but will accomplish that which I purpose for it. Now, I've got a friend who uses good books as a way of reaching people for Christ. Uh, Laura orders five or six uh, popular books 
with a Christian message. She orders the paperback from Amazon. And then she will give a book away. And what she will say to an unchurched person is, uh, let me give you a gift of, of a book that people are raving about. And would you be willing to read it and just tell me what you think about it? What a beautiful way to witness. Well, Laura taught me that technique. So I've gone to using it. Now, one of the books that I often share with sports fans are people who, especially people who love golf, is the book Seven Days in Utopia by David L. Cook. Young, young adults, many young adults are raving about a book entitled Letters from a Skeptic by Greg Boyd. And some of our women are commending a book by John Eldridge entitled Captivating. Maybe giving books away could be one of your favorite ways of witnessing. Here's the second guideline for witnessing. Invite a person to sample some facet of the church's life. Notice that in chapter 1 of John's Gospel, in each witnessing situation, the object was to get a person in direct con contact with Jesus Christ. Now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, God can touch a person anywhere, anytime. But there's one place where Jesus is guaranteed to be, and that's in church. How do I know that? Because Jesus said so in the Scripture. Jesus said that, For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. And goodness knows Mount Horeb has so many opportunities for all ages, so many facets of the church's life here. I mean, it could be a Bible study that you invite somebody to. It could be a Sunday school class. It could be a church concert like the one that Faye advertised earlier, the Peace on Earth concert, December 7 and 8. Or it could be a worship service. In all of these places, Jesus has promised to be present. So, if you want to put somebody in direct contact with Jesus Christ, Bring him or her where you know Jesus will be, in church. Here's the third guideline for witnessing. Expect some opposition. Jesus' disciples faced it all the time, especially from some of the religious leaders of their day. And when Jesus sent the disciples out two by two all over the countryside, Galilee, uh, Judea, to witness, to share the faith, to proclaim the kingdom. Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. In other words, expect opposition. And Jesus said, sometime the opposition will come from your own family, within your own family. And I got a feeling Simon Peter tasted some of that. Now what I'm about, it does not say what the reaction of Simon Peter's wife was when he told her that he was going to give up the professional fishing business and go traveling with Jesus. Does not say. Mercifully, it probably does not say. But I got a feeling. I got a feeling you could hear her scream all over Capernaum. I imagine she said, Simon, you and your brother spent all that money buying these boats and all that fishing equipment, and you've just now begun to show a profit. Oh, and now you're going to sell it all? and go traipsing all over the countryside with a holy man? 
and you say you're going to visit me once in a while when you get a chance, and you might bring a little money with you when you come. Simon, are you having a midlife crisis, or have you lost your mind? Scripture doesn't say that, but I got a feeling. As I have ministered across the years, I've observed that when a person becomes a sold-out witness for Jesus Christ, almost always someone in his or her family will be offended or critical. Now, the hip-hop artist Kanye West has been in the news a whole lot lately. And Kanye admits what the American public has known for quite a while, that, that he had a notoriously immoral past. Ah, but now that has changed. Kanye has become a Christian, and he is hosting what he calls Sunday services, featuring gospel music. Kanye's pastor says that the artist no longer uses profanity and has urged all of his employees to refrain from uh, premarital sex. He denounces the evil pornography. He sings about the value of family and prayer. His newest album is entitled, Jesus is King. And guess what? Some of Kanye's oldest friends don't like the new Kanye. Doesn't surprise you a bit. But grace is a sweet sound for those who know they need it. And if we, like Kanye, dare to share the good news of Jesus Christ, we should not be surprised if it evokes opposition. Because Satan hates an active Christian witness because it threatens his kingdom. The fourth and the final guideline for witnessing is, remember, you are motivated by gratitude. Remember that demon-possessed man that we read about in the fifth chapter of Mark's gospel? Poor man lived in a cemetery among the tombs, way out of his right mind. <clears throat> but Jesus encountered him, healed him, and changed him. And the poor man was so grateful that he tried to sign up as an additional disciple and go with Jesus all across the country. But Jesus said, no, I want you to go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Friends, that's the essence of evangelism right there. Just sharing with people what God has done for you. It's just a way of saying, thank you, thank you. <clears throat> our motive for witnessing is vitally important. I mean, if our motive for witnessing, for sharing the faith, is just to make Mount Horeb the largest church in the Midlands, that is just not good enough. If our motive is to add spiritual scalps to our belt to make us look good, that is not worthy of a Christian. And if our motive is to pave the way to heaven for, with good works, that won't work, friend, because we get salvation by grace or we don't get it at all. The only worthy motive of witnessing is sheer gratitude for all that Jesus has done and is doing in our lives. So, it's appropriate that we're launching this Operation Andrew just days before Thanksgiving, because this is the season when every Christian's heart should overflow with gratitude for what God has done, is doing, and will do in our lives. Somewhere 
I read the true story of a missionary doctor way down in the remote regions of the Amazon River Basin, and he ran a little medical clinic hospital there. And one day a man came to the clinic. He had terrible cataracts on both eyes and was totally blind. And that doctor performed surgery, removed those cataracts, and he had his eyesight again. And of course he was thrilled. Two weeks later, that doctor looked out a window and here came that man, the one with restored sight. He was pulling a rope and there were 48 blind people holding on to that rope. He had gone back to his region and rounded up all the blind people he could find to lead them to that clinic. He was so grateful for the gift of vision that he wanted all his blind friends to have it. Every day we encounter people who are blinded by sin without hope. If we're grateful for all Christ has done in our lives, we must be willing to imitate Andrew and share it. So I want you to notice in your bulletin, there's a sign-up form for the Operation Andrew. And I urge you to take this home with you today, fill it out. You are urged to write down two or three names of people who, to the best of your knowledge, are unchurched. They could be neighbors, co-workers, friends, acquaintances, even relatives. And if you write down their names, you will be promising to try to do three things in relationship with them. One, to pray for them regularly. Two, to invite them to some facet of Mount Horeb's church life. And three, if God provides you an opportunity to share your three-minute testimony with them, that you will be willing to do that. Now, when you get home, I want you to clip this Operation Andrew form out of your bulletin and put it somewhere where you will see it regularly so you won't forget it. Remember the definition of witnessing, sharing the good news about Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. Let me close with a true story of a powerful witness. I like to call this the story of the man with two umbrellas. Dr. Roger Targeson, Baptist minister from Worcester, Massachusetts, a few years ago was traveling across the Atlantic by ship. And he noticed every day this dark-skinned man sitting in a deck chair reading his Bible. So Dr. Targeson decided he wanted to get to know this guy. So one day he walked up to him and introduced himself. I'm a Baptist minister from, from Massachusetts, and I noticed your fidelity to Bible study. I'd like to know more about you. This dark-skinned man said, I'm a Filipino. He said, I grew up in a good Catholic home. And then years ago, I came to the United States to one of your fine universities to study with the aim of becoming a lawyer. He said, the first day I was on campus, there came a knock on my door and there was a young man who said he was a, a junior in college there, that he knew I was from overseas, and so he wanted to make me feel welcome and to assist me in any way he could. And he gave me his phone number and said, if you need anything, you just call me. 
I thanked him, and then he said, by the way, where do you go to church? And I said, well, I, I'm a Roman Catholic. And the young man said, uh, the, the Catholic church is some distance from the campus, but I'm going to sit down here and draw you a map on how to get there, which he did. And the Filipino thanked him. And then he left. The following Sunday, it was raining. And so the Filipino decided to stay, to skip church. Oh, but then there came a knock on the door. And it was this young man. And he had two umbrellas with him. And he said, I was worried that that map I, I wrote was not clear enough for you. So I'd like to escort you to the church. Filipino thanked him so much, got dressed hurriedly. And as they were about to leave, uh, he asked the young man, what church do you go to? Young man said, well, my church is just around the corner. And so the Filipino said, let's go to your church this Sunday and we'll go to mine next Sunday. Young man agreed. This Filipino said, that church that this young man belonged to, as soon as I stepped into it, I felt the Spirit of God there. Uh, he introduced me to some people who made me feel right at home. The music and the message were powerful. Oh, it meant so much to me. And so I kept going there Sunday after Sunday. After a few months, I joined the church. When I graduated from college after four years there, the Lord had led me to go into the ministry rather than into law. So I went to Drew University Seminary, graduated, and was ordained a Methodist pastor. Then I went back to the Philippines to serve there. A few years ago, I was elected bishop there. I am Bishop Valencius of the Philippines. Now, the hero of the story is not the bishop, important though he is. The hero of the story is the anonymous young man with two umbrellas. And you go all the way back in Christian history, you'll always find that person. Always, behind almost every Christian convert. That unnamed man or woman with a winsome faith who builds a bridge of friendship to another person and across that bridge walks the living Christ to claim another soul. You can be that person. You can be like Andrew. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.